Hello and welcome to another Architecture Podcast. I'm George Bradley, architect and director of London-based studio Bradley van der Straten, and every fortnight I talk to a different architect from around the world to discuss an inspiring house that they have designed. In this episode, I talk to Tristan Wigfall, one of the co-founders of the London-based architecture studio Almanac. We talk about their recently completed project, House Within a House. The project looks like a new house that has been inserted into a Victorian terrace, but it is in fact a renovation of what used to be a rather ugly 1950s property. Almanac have cleverly concealed the house in an entirely new skin, not only making it bigger and more visually appealing, but also managing to preserve a lot of the materials that would otherwise have gone to landfill. It is a very inventive project, from a practice that has come to be known for their imaginative ways of working with challenging sites, and with projects Slim House, Inbetweeny House and Wedge House, they turn convention on its head. If you'd like to find out more about House Within a House, you can see pictures and drawings of the project on the episode page at anotherarchitecturepodcast.com. I hope you enjoy listening. Tristan, thank you very much for joining me on the podcast today. Thank you. Um, we're obviously going to be talking about House Within a House, um, one of your more recent um, projects. Um, but maybe if we could just start with an introduction to your practice, to Almanac. And probably a burning question that I have is, where, where does that name come from? Why are you called Almanac? <laughs> it's a question we get a lot. Um, so yes, we are Almanac. Um, the name came about when we, we set the practice up about 10 years ago, myself uh, Chris and Casper, we'd all studied together and then gone off and worked in other practices and then decided to set up uh, in end of 2009, I think it was. And we were we had that, yeah, that classic early meeting of what do we call ourselves. And I think it was just that we'd always not wanted the practice to be about any one individual. It was a kind of a collection of work and a collection of ideas. Um, and so an almanac is a kind of journal of ideas and a portfolio of work so that's where it came from and then we stuck the hyphen in there I think just to confuse people (laughs) Um, so yeah I'd like to say there's there's richer kind of reasons other than that but yeah that that's kind of where it came from and you and and so far you've achieved that is a very kind of varied portfolio of of work and the kind of practice I like keeping an eye on of well what's what's coming next and you don't only design houses it's quite a broad range of what you do um, but today we're going to be mainly focusing on on house within a house. Mm-hmm. Um, I just wondered whether you could just, if somebody doesn't know this project, if you could give an introduction to it, how do you describe it? So it, the, the the house is located in uh, southeast London um, in an area called Broccoli. Um, it's quite an interesting area in terms of it's a conservation area. So there's lots of very interesting historic buildings there from kind of the 1850s. Um, I was just doing a bit of reading up before we came on, just so I knew the history. <laughs> and um, so, yeah, originally it was farmland field. And then with the arrival of the railway um, and the stations around there, it then grew out of that. And it was kind of speculative developers built a lot of the Victorian houses. And so the house is actually located on what's called Tresillian Crescent. So it is a, a crescent street um, with these very large kind of uh, late 1800s um, Victorian uh, houses that um, 
I was finding out actually subsequently a lot of them were bought up by the or taken over by the council after the war. So there's quite a lot of council owned tenants within the area. Um, but then also the rich architectural history of the buildings means that a lot of them have been purchased subsequently. Um, and then this particular site, um, it had been bombed in the war um, and had subsequently the uh, house had been demolished. And in the 50s, they'd built this very nondescript kind of brick box um, and it was the clients that had literally just seen it driving past one day. They'd seen a, a sign up uh, and it really caught their eye. Um, and, and that's where it emerged that they got the idea of buying it and and then where, where we came on board. And why do you think it caught their eye? Do you, was it a development opportunity that caught their eye or were they in love with the, the 70s house that was there? Um, I, think it was the 50, I think it was a 50s house. Um, right. I think they could... It, it jumped out because it looked like a missing tooth within this quite grand crescent. Um, mm-hmm. They had the, they both came come from kind of creative backgrounds in terms of they both work in creative industries, uh, and I think they saw the opportunity to kind of I guess transform what was a bit of an ugly duckling um, and put their own mark on it. It, it is also quite an unusual plot because it's quite wide comparatively. Um, so again, they they liked the opportunity that gave them in terms of something slightly different. Um, so I think that's what caught their eye and, and where they could see the potential and what they could do with it. Mm-hmm. And, and in terms of that potential, um, do you think they would have foreseen this idea of designing a new house around an existing house? Um, or, was that, or was that definitely a sort of surprising proposal put forward? I think, uh, yeah, I think they'd always imagined that they could somehow use the existing. Um, and so to give you a bit of a background um, they originally contacted us, I think, in early 2016, um, just to find out. Uh, they were obviously reaching out to architects to to embark on the project. And then we didn't hear anything from them for about a year, I think, till early 2017. And so they'd subsequently gone off and, and worked with another architect um, who was actually based up in Scotland. Um, and I think they'd come up with a scheme at that stage that was basically taking off the top of the house and adding a kind of another floor on top, but in very much a, a box-like form. And I think uh, the architects just didn't quite realise the sensitivity of the of the context of the area. Um, and for that reason, it, it got thrown out of planning. Um, and then so obviously the clients then decided to go back to the drawing board and, and picked up the phone and got back in contact with us. Um, so that was yeah. the kind of, yeah, the background of where it had originally. So what I'm interested in is, what do you think was the reason that they they then came to you? Was there a particular thing that you think attracted them to to Almanac um, and your approach to a project like this? Um, yeah, so I think I think it was I was saying sort of the idea of this uh, the chemistry we had with them as a client, and um, we'd had some meetings with them and discussed some of our initial kind of ideas of how we would approach the site and how we work as a practice. Um, and I think that really chimed with them and, and, and they felt comfortable working with us and, and, we, and we felt we had a really good dynamic in terms of feeding off their ideas they were bringing. Um, it was perhaps more so than with some clients, a very collaborative design process with them. Um, you know, there was times when we were literally sitting around the table, they were sketching, we were sketching, you know, it, it, you know much more so than some clients. They, they really could engage with it and mm. could really engage with the ideas we were presenting to them. Um, so I think, yeah, it, it's we set off on a good foot with them and, and it, it felt quite a comfortable design development um, in working with them. 
And where, where did the, or when did the idea come about that it was, when was it clear it was going to be a house within a house as an idea, as a solution? So, yeah, I mean, at the outset, it was on the table that we could, you know, consider, you know, wiping the, the site and, and starting afresh. Um, I think I had quite a gut reaction that it felt like there was something there that we could do with the existing. Um, it, it ostensibly was in about the right place on the site, even though it was this nondescript building. Um, and so from the outside, I'd always kind of had it in my mind that we could work with it. Um, and then it was really just very early sketching, kind of thinking of that streetscape um, and how we could work around the existing volume. And I don't know, it was just the concept of this kind of Russian doll sitting over the top of it mm. seemed really kind of a neat idea. Um, and so we just saw tested ideas of what we could do with placing something over the top or and and the forms that we could generate. Um, as I say, the planners had thrown out an original idea of just literally extruding a square form on top. So we knew there was something key in emulating the roofscapes that are in this this crescent terrace. Um, and that's really where the, the form derived from and, and the idea of placing something over the top of it. It's sometimes quite nice, isn't it, to sort of come in as the second architect and um, somebody else has sort of laid the groundwork, um, had a fail, and then you can use that sort of fail to sort of see what um, issues it addresses. It's it's quite a nice role to be coming in sometimes, isn't it? Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I liked your description of um, it being a bit like a, a Russian doll, because effectively that is, it's a two-story building. This mm -hmm. You could imagine this new building has sort of been dropped in over the top of it enveloping it um and then you've added one extra floor the, the, the new russian doll is one floor higher mm -hmm. and then you've got one single story extension on the back with um with the pitched roof um for anyone sort of listening that's maybe sort of still sort of thinking what the hell are they on about what why is this a house within a house can you maybe sort of just describe describe this this concept and what the driver is for it as well from from other sort of practical aspects as well? So uh, the, the existing house on the site was literally, I mean, it looked like a kind of, if a child was to draw a picture of a house, it would kind of looked like this. It was a two-story mm. brick box with kind of punctured windows and a pitched roof. Um, had three bedrooms at first floor and then living space at ground. Um, so effectively what we did, we just took off the roof um, and the gables either end uh, that created a, literally a square box and then um added this new story on top the new story was timber framed structurally internally to keep it lightweight uh, so that we could try and work with the existing structure um and then over the top of that we've then wrapped the whole thing in a new brick skin to tie it all together um that's then allowed us to insulate everything because the original house had no insulation whatsoever it was it, they weren't even cavity walls they were solid brick walls um so then yeah we've we've just if you can imagine we've we've put a, a whole new skin around the building top and bottom so we we rebuilt the floor as well um in terms of the re the the implications this had we could have again as i say we could have taken out the existing house and it, what that would have meant is it would have been a new build and from that purposes that meant it would have had some savings fortunately the existing house had been vacant for two years which meant that it uh had a vat relief so even though it wasn't a new build it, it got a vat reduction so it was at five percent rather than twenty percent so mm -hmm. there were lots of kind of yeah it, it probably was a fine tipping point between whether it would have been more cost effective to 
knock it down and build a new uh, versus work with the existing. Um, but from a from a, I don't, a practical point of view of wanting to retain something that was there and not just send it all to landfill, it felt disingenuous just to knock it down if there was something solid that we could work with. And also from an ecological point of view, I'm, I'm imagining there's a, a, a lot less waste, a lot less than new material having to to come in as well. Is is that something that you have um, sort of looked at or planned to do in terms of longer term analysis of um, this approach? Yeah, I mean, a lot of the work we do, and a lot, I think a lot of uh, practices in the UK are now very interested in retrofit and working with existing mm-hmm. structures rather than knocking them down. Um, we did do subsequent analysis afterwards to see what the effect had been. Obviously, we we could calculate roughly how many bricks we retained in the, you know, 12,000 bricks we retained that would have otherwise potentially been in landfill. I think it was about 13 cubic metres of concrete that were in the foundations that, again, we retained. Um, and the resulting re-wrapping and insulating it, you know, kind of putting a warm coat around the whole thing means that it's highly efficient now. Uh, it's very airtight and it's very thermally efficient. Um we could have probably done it in a uh, in terms of the embodied energy of what we wrap around it. The bricks obviously have an embodied energy, so we could have done that in a different way if if we perhaps had more license in terms of materiality, if we'd use, say, timber or something else to clad it. Um, so there are always things you could do, but I think the resulting project has created a very thermally efficient um, and, uh, yeah, practical home for the, the, the clients that now live there. And a beautiful home as well. Um, let's not forget that. So if we talk about maybe the sort of the, the look of the house from the outside, because it's the most striking feature, This it's the sort of thing that captures the imagination instantly in this house, because it sits between two um, very distinctive looking, is it Edwardian? Um, I think they're Victorians, era. they're late yeah. 1800s. So yeah, they're, they're quite rich in their facades. So they're kind of yes. London stock brick with quite a lot of stucco, uh, white render stucco features around the windows. Um, so they're quite ornate in a lot of yes. ways. And but your design is very much, and in the one sense, it's quite traditional in terms of its form and its appearance as a terraced house with a pitched roof. But then in another sense, it's it's an alien to the street. It's definitely very different. A lot of the you've removed a lot of the ornate features and mm. uh, and kept the materiality um, very simple. What was the what's the thinking behind this this facade and the appearance here with the property? Yeah. It definitely stands out. And I mean, I think it's fair to say, you know, some people don't like it. Um, Some people Mm -hmm. really think we should have emulated exactly what the direct context was and tried to replicate what was there before, because the the original house was actually twinned with the the one. It was a mirror of the neighboring house. Right. Um, And there are actually examples locally of where they have done that, um, but more in a new build setting. So I think the starting point was working around the existing structure um that i think with the planners gave us a bit more license to strip things back aesthetically um because in a way because we were retaining the existing anything we were doing you could argue was enhancing what was very nondescript to start and then as we were developing the ideas with the client they had lots of kind of references they were sharing with us. They were really interested in kind of very functional utilitarian design and looking at lots of kind of Scandinavian, Scandinavian urban design mm-hmm. examples and lots of brick um, uh, houses that they'd seen. 
And so it started evolving through that conversation with them and, and this idea of this very stripped back um, uh, facade within that context. Um, again, a lot of people say, why, don't we, why didn't we match the brick closer? And uh, that was partly a, driven by the client and the, not wanting to create a pastiche of what was there. And, you know, the reality of London stock bricks is, you know, they've been weathered for 100 years and you can't, you can try and replicate that, but it seems a bit mm. false to kind of, to be painting them or something so that they try to blend in. Um, so the plan is kind of, they support, once we explain this logic to them in terms of not wanting to replicate, we're creating something that was working with the existing uh, and that was contemporary. Um, I think they appreciated what we were endeavouring to do. Um, and so they ultimately supported the idea of this kind of slightly contrasting warm grey brick that we proposed mm -hmm. in the end. Um, and then back to the facade. So, Again, we were working around the existence of the, the window openings, particularly ground and first, were very much governed by what was there originally. Um, and But one of the key features, because we overwrapped the building, they've got very deep window reveals. So the actual walls are, are very deep. They're about 400 mil, half a meter thick, the walls, once you've overclad and insulated. Um, so we were trying to play with that depth a little bit, um, adding some of the window cuffs around some of the windows so that it wasn't, you know, a sheer cliff. We wanted to give it some texture. Um, and the the projecting brick element, that came about through a conversation again with the planners. They were wanting to us to replicate the bay windows that you see on quite a lot of the Victorian houses in the Crescent. And originally, actually, through a conversation with the client, they wanted to do this kind of inverted form of that. Um, so actually step the brick on the other side to create this really quite abstract form and it would have looked great. It would have really been fun. But I think it, we were just pushing it slightly too far with the planners by that point. So we had to revert to the to the step form that we've we've got in the end now. But I think it still works. And they're, they're very modern windows in the sense that they're very clean. They're, most of them are just a single a single pane. And then there's variation between some being set back in the more traditional sense in the brickwork and some um, project outwards. But I think what's, for me, what one of the successes here is that proportionally they're the proportions are right of the windows versus the sort of solid. And I think that's often the criticism, isn't it, of a modern infill, um, just totally sort of disrespecting some of the beautiful proportions that you get of Victorian mm. properties. Whereas here you've kept um, the windows, the windows quite big. Um, and I think that kind of really helps in the in interiors of the space, which we'll sort of talk about um, in a minute. Um, what, do, what do you know much about what, you know, you've mentioned that some people have, have openly don't like it um and that's always gonna always gonna happen i suppose if you're doing something that's very sort of different to the neighbors what do you what about people that live right next to it have you had any reaction from from them i think they've 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 been supportive so on both sides the houses are actually divided into flats so there's quite a few neighbors directly um and i think yeah they've they've been supportive i think i guess for them it, again, it was a dramatic improvement on what was there before. So yeah. even if they would maybe have liked to seen a replica of the original house, they could see it as an improvement of what was there before that you know was derelict effectively. Um, mm -hmm. So I, I think they, yeah. And it, you mentioned the window sizes. That the the front one of the front windows is really quite big, um, and the, actually the the clients are going to be growing up the landscape a bit at the front. But they're saying it does invite people to kind of stare in. Um, and so that's quite fun in a way. They're kind of glimpsing into this kind of shop window of the family life.
if we then sort of then let's sort of take ourselves into start going through the building maybe if you could talk a little bit about um the entrance way because the entrance is, is is a nice feature of it's this it's just that's an extension to the building right it's mm, to the side yeah. it's just single story um could you talk a little bit about your kind of approach here with the, the canopy and the brick patterns and um, some of those features so i guess that's where we restart one of the restrictions of working with the original plan in the uh strangely enough they put the front door around the side of the house um of the original house um and we did test lots of iterations of trying to bring the, the the, the door back to the front um and that was one of the planners comments early on is that you know to match with the victorian houses it should be much more central at the front but it was just too it would have compromised the resulting layout internally to be changing it that much so by adding the side extension we were able to bring the door the front door more to the front uh, even though it's still to the side it is on the front facade um and then we were trying to just give it a bit of emphasis. So by creating the soldier brick uh, detail around the standing bricks around the entrance, it kind of draws you around to that side. Um, we were able to keep some of the trees at the front, which kind of nicely frame that entrance way. Um, and then, yeah, this, there's a light weight kind of steel uh, uh, porch almost that comes out in front of the front door. Um, and I think it just gives a bit of lightness compared to the kind of very solid brick uh, facade mm-hmm. that surrounds it. And by keeping the existing um, footprint of the existing house, that must have presented then some challenges of, although it looks like a new build house, you didn't have the freedom necessarily to to do whatever sort of plan you wanted. So how did that work in terms of particularly on the ground floor and the, and the living spaces? Well, on the ground floor, it was just about trying to open it up. Um, so the, the clients have five children, five boys. Um, so it's a large family. Um, so, we were trying to create as much open space on the ground floor. So it's this social area. Um, so large formats originally the, the footprint of the house meant it was quite small cellular spaces on the ground floor. So what we did was we just opened that out towards the back, um, adding in the extension at the rear that created a, a much larger open kitchen, uh, dining and living space centrally as the kind of heart of the home. But then at the front, we maintain the two smaller rooms. So one is a kind of TV snug room, so you can still kind of withdraw away. And one is a kind of uh, a home office space. Um, So throughout, we've tried to minimise how much we were chopping around the walls internally. Um, But it was the ground floor where we did make the most kind of changes. Whereas that first floor, we literally, I don't think we changed any of the internal walls. They were all retained. Right. Um, Yeah. And, so then in terms of because you, you're working with a very sort of um, a very common sort of theme here of the, of the terraced house, but you've got the chance to sort of manipulate and uh, and adjust it probably a lot more so than working with an existing one. Um, what kind of things were you sort of approaching this with? Of, are there things that you sort of view of, as failings of typical terraced houses that you you were able to address here by by doing so much of it new? Um, I mean... Over and above, I mean, the, the normal thing, I guess, uh, like storage, if you're a family of of, of um, seven people, you know, where are you going to hang all your coats? So we, we did mm-hmm. try and integrate that in as much, but there's a kind of whole utility room at ground floor where you can kind of chuck a lot of those things that you don't want to see day to day. So I think storage is, is a big thing. I think also it was laid out in a way so that I always remember this growing up whereby 
you know, if you're a teenager, you want to be able to come in the house and potentially go up to your room without seeing everyone. So it, it kind mm -hmm. of, it just does work in that way that you, you can come in quite privately and then go off upstairs if you want, or you enter into the main family public space mm -hmm. or social space of the house. Um, it's, it's a large house, I guess, compared to if, if you start thinking of a volume building. It, um, it, so it's 230 square meters, which is generous um, compared mm -hmm. to kind of off-the-shelf houses potentially. And I think that affords us a bit more capacity to, to create more space, obviously. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, I'm trying to think of any other things. But I think those are the main things that, that kind of jump spring to mind. And you come into this house, you've faced... There's a downstairs toilet sort of in front of you with a with small shower room on the on the ground floor. Mm. As you said, there's that storage space, which is I think definitely is one of the things that's always missing. So many people that come to us with um, projects for Victorian terraced houses is you come in and there's nowhere mm. to put your coats other than mm. them all hanging in the hallway when you first sort of come in, um, and that that works really well. But then you've got is there there's a sliding walled kind of door is there from from that space in the stair that then leads you into um the living spaces yeah so that is compartment you can close it off i i, I imagine they don't close it off that much i mean mm -hmm. it's never been closed when i go there um i mean obviously practical reasons why we need to have that separating off but mm -hmm. yeah it, it just gives i guess if they're up socializing late at night and you, you want to close it off from upstairs that's one of the bugbears in my house is that mm -hmm. there's no door between the first floor bedrooms and the ground floor spaces and yeah we're yeah. young young family that can get frustrating <laughs> it's the party door mm, yeah <laughs> uh, it's, a, it's a criticism isn't it of a lot of um open plan architecture i think is that not having that kind of um option but then the living spaces you've then got them so you mentioned already there's two two rooms at the front so there's quite a lot of flexibility in mm. in the sense that it's it's an open it, it can mostly be open plan on this ground floor um but actually can be separated into probably three or four yeah. different yeah. rooms but i really like the space that you've then added onto the back because it's kind of strange with this project as in in many senses you look at a project like this and what you've done on the back is an extension in its own right but it's it's all part of a bigger whole because of this russian doll aspect but mm. you have still kind of designed it almost as if it is an extension it's a very different feel to the rest of the house with this sloping pitched roof mm. and the kitchen that opens onto the garden um what was the what was the influence behind sort of designing it um this way um well there's one of the things you step down at the rear so we were kind of trying to create a bit more sense of volume um as we'll probably come on to talking about the top floor spaces but um basically any of the new spaces we've added on have these kind of pitched roof forms um so all of the new areas have an exposed roof structure so it's um this exposed timber structure so you kind of it's almost like a a ribbed carcass that kind of sits over the top um and that language continues through all of the new spaces um so i think it's just it's a what i think is some usual about the house is there's kind of surprises as you go through so when mm -hmm. you come through and then you, you come through that kind of quite pinched relatively pinched kind of entrance sequence and then you turn around to the back and then it begins to open up and the same happens up on the top where again we've got this elevated roof form um and i think from talking with the clients that that space at the rear is probably the most used so they have a really large dining table and it's the open plan kitchen space um and I think that's just where they, they congregate the most. And then, yeah, as you say, there's the smallest spaces to the front where they can kind of withdraw off to. Um, the form at the rear, 
I think that was that came about just in designing the rear elevation, um, playing with these asymmetries of the roof forms that had been governed by the levels of the neighbouring houses, um, and then also being governed by the existing openings on the rear of the of the first floor that created this created this kind of a slightly haphazard feel to the window openings, but it, it just feels quite fun in a way and it's quite comfortable. And, and, and that's how it emerged, the kind of the, the form and, and expression of that rear elevation. And the proportions of the space, are, like you said, it's the space where they probably spend most of their time, probably for good reason, isn't it? It's, it's the part that opens onto the garden, but mm. also this ceiling vaults up. It's, it's really high, so it's a very voluminous mm. um, space as well. Was that partly in response to planning restrictions as well and kind of respecting neighbours as much as um, from a design point of view? Um, yes, yeah, because obviously we do we go full width, um, so it's it's on both sides, and I think there's always yeah doing it by the book you try and keep it lower and to to be sensitive to the neighbors on either side i mean i think that's you do have to keep reminding yourself this is this is a an extension effectively it's not a new build house so we were really pushing the boundaries even when we put the planning in it it went in as a householder extension not as a new build and we kind of mm-hmm. felt like they were going to say hang on a minute this is too big to be an extension but we, we did comply with all of the the relevant policies so yeah i guess we were just pushing the boundaries as far as we could and um in terms of you maybe talk through a little bit about the materiality here because you've got um you can see the bricks so this brick skin that wraps around the outside of the building um you come in into the building into the living areas but then you come out to the back again the extension you can see the frame was that of the, the perimeter of the existing building was that a very intentional design move here yeah, yeah, I think it, 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 trying to read the fact that you can that skin kind of comes through the roof and you can see it um, when you look back up at the towards the back of the existing house. Um, so yeah, we, we we'd always in, envisaged that we wanted to do that, and um, I, from the very beginning, I guess a key aspect had been yeah the structural aspect. So we were working closely with our structural engineer, um, who was integral in terms of ensuring that we could do what we were proposing to do in terms of the extent of what we were adding on um so we were able to ascertain that we could use the existing foundations and and everything nothing was added to there was no underpinning it was all literally sitting on top of what was there um i guess that's one thing it would have been nice if we could have peeled back and revealed more of that kind of i guess the interconnection between the existing and the new um, there is, as you come in, the main wall is the original brick and it's all exposed mm-hmm. and you can see that. But I guess the practicality of trying to insulate and wrap things up, a lot, that does get lost a bit. Um, I love some of the work of, say, like Howard Tompkins, where they work with existing buildings mm-hmm. and they, you really show that peeling um, of layers and, and, and read that narrative into the project. So that would be something I guess in hindsight would be nice to have explored further. Interesting. That's definitely not this project, is it? As in, mm. if you do, you think somebody could come into this house if they didn't know the backstory? Possibly wouldn't wouldn't know what's what's happening here at all, and would would believe it's a new build house. I think that's probably the case. Yeah, I think yeah. most people see it, and even in terms of some of the criticism it's received, it's when they've not really realised what we've tried to do in terms of working mm. with the existing, and you kind of have to keep explaining. No, there's it's it's working with something that's already there. But you could argue that's sort of part of the success of the project as well as in does it does it have to tell that language or is mm. is that really an important aspect I suppose is a good question 
Yeah, yeah, you could go either way. Given yeah. that it wasn't, you know, there wasn't a rich Georgian building, and inside there, it was a very utilitarian brick box. But um, yeah, I think it's it, it would have been nice if it was potentially more obvious inside. Mm-hmm. And what do you think then on on these? living spaces in the kitchen and the dining and the lounge areas um what do you think are kind of other really important features for you that really make this work as a as a family home um on the ground floor i think it's it just it it feels quite the the flow works quite well uh, Mm. i'd like to say um yeah you you the the, actually the main living space is quite internalized um in the it's it's right in the center of the house and it relies on the fact you can kind of see through in both directions the dual aspect of it um but it feels quite snug as well because of that so it is open plan but it, it has a different feel to it because then there's the the level changes going out to the back um so i think that works really well um and I, I guess, yeah, just generally getting the feedback from the clients in terms of how they're enjoying living there is really good. We've been there back there quite a lot. You can kind of begin to see them in, or well, they've been in there a year and a half now. You, you know, it's, it's great seeing people live in spaces that you've worked with them to create. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe if we sort of if we sort of travel through and go go upstairs in in the property. Um, you mentioned before about how the. the a really nice element of this this house is the sort of surprise and how on the ground floor you definitely come out and this this kitchen space feels very different you can see the timbers in the ceiling um but then that theme definitely continues upstairs and i think even just with the stairs there's quite a lot of space and light that's been achieved there again going back to what kind of were typical criticisms of um of, of challenges of terraced houses is often the stairs can be right in the middle of the house and be quite dark and there's the spaces where you're traveling to get between rooms but that's definitely not um definitely not the case in this house mm. uh, can you talk a little bit about, about how you approach this design how how you achieved um overcame that problem let's say um so the stair is largely where it was originally in in the house. Um, we did play around with kind of reorganising it, and again, just it, it. I felt like I think if we'd started doing that, we would again would have tipped that balance in terms of the logic of retaining versus mm-hmm. when you start cutting up the inside so much, it's sort of you'll get to a tipping point that it wouldn't make sense. Um, and we did actually develop much more elaborate stair designs in terms of the balustrade and how that would wrap up and and uh, and, and tie together the, the the floors because it's still a three-story house um which unfortunately that got kind of stripped out but i think the client they've, they've approached it in a very pragmatic way and um the main thing we did really was uh trying to bring in light down the center of the stair um so the pitch roof up on the top now it's uh got roof lights all the way across so it just pulls the light down all the way down to the ground floor so as soon as you come in you can look all the way up and you you begin to get a hint of that new roof form and the different character of the upper floor um to the existing floor um so yeah i I think it was treated quite luckily the existing form did have a kind of a central void running down the middle of the stair so that worked well and then we just continued that uh form up through the building and as you get up through the building, go past the, the you know first floors, a fairly sort of typical layout in terms of bedrooms, bathrooms. But then you get to the the top, and um, I mean, extremely kind of almost ecclesiastical kind of mm. feel to this space when you get to these rooms at the top with this very high kind of pointy hat um, of a roof. Um, 
that's a kind of great kind of end to the journey if you're traveling up to the top of the house was there any temptation to sort of fill that in and maybe put in sort of mezzanine bedrooms um or was this a very important element of the design for you um i think when we first came up with the concept the idea of an inhabited roof was there so that the the idea that you knew you were in this vaulted volume um was there and, and that stuck it i mean it to it probably is well, it's higher than you probably would do otherwise because it goes up to about five and a half meters in the center of the, the ridge. Um, that's partly because we were dealing with the neighboring heights. Um, and again, the, the original existing house had very standard floor to ceiling heights of 2.5 meters, um, which meant that at the new second floor level that we created, we had to kind of cheat and add more volume up above it so that we were aligned with the neighbors. Um, and they're, they're, one of the rooms does have a kind of mezzanine over the top of the bathroom. So you do have this kind of deck up there that um, one of the teenage children can climb up to. They've got a ladder up to it. Um, but I think the master bedroom where you, you just get the sense of the full volume and there's a clear story up above, we, we were just keen to to celebrate that and, and um, let them enjoy that, that feeling of volume that you don't normally experience in, in houses. Mm-hmm. And were any of these kind of surprise elements after the fine working on house like this, you probably start from one concept, one sort of theory, then as you're going through, there's something presents itself as an opportunity where you kind of think, well, I can't really take credit for that because that just kind of happened by accident, but you're kind of pleased with it. Was was there any element of that with this project as you progressed? It This project it did develop quite pragmatically in terms of that initial concept, the, the idea of retaining and then I think internally um, it, it's quite honest, the, the, the way in which it's put together. I think you can read how the building's put together mm. inside and we didn't hide any of that. So you can see all the bolts that tie together the roof um, with these uh, expressed roof, be- roof joists. Um, so I think that I'm, I think we're really pleased with how that came out um, in terms of it is, it, it was driven really by, I guess, wanting to create very simple details. Um, but I think the honesty of that resulting uh, aesthetic works really well. Um, so I think that was a happy, happy, good, happy accident in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, if we go back a little bit on you, because you're just sort of touching on the working with a structural engineer and, um, and it's Brian Constant is a, mm. a good friend of mine. We work with him with our practice and um, go quite a long way back. Um, and it was interesting. I mean, I had a chat with him ages ago when this this project first came out. It's like, okay, Brian, you've got to tell me what's going on here. I want to know how they did this. This is fascinating. Um, but I can imagine, I can tell looking at it and from what I've heard with Brian as well, is it's a very sort of integral structural solution as well as architectural solution. Um, and what what was that collaboration like and what did it, bring were you challenged in any way from a structural point of view of okay we maybe can't do some of the things we thought we could do or or were you challenged equally it works the other way were you challenged oppositely if we pushed to do something sort of more ambitious um well i think yeah i think early on that was the critical point of, of whether we we could ascertain that the existing structure would take the new volume that we were trying to add on top of it um so yeah working with brian was great and and we always really enjoy those collaborations you have with the other consultants and we, we, they were engaged in the design process as much as we were in terms of guiding how we could approach it. Um, fortunately it didn't impede us too much because 
luckily the existing foundations were really solid and the whole house was solid it you know it, it wasn't going to go anywhere it was almost a kind of bunker in its in its construction mm-hmm. um so that worked well I, I think we touched on earlier so it's a timber structure that sits on top mm. that allows it to work i think there were some challenges that um brian helped us resolve really well were obviously where you've got a timber structure marrying with a masonry structure they have differential movement mm. so there was it probably sounds quite boring, but working at how to tie the new brick skin to the existing masonry and timber structure was quite a challenge and specifying very specific uh, brick ties that would allow the movement between the two um, was quite a key factor. Um, and then the use of, they're called curto timbers. Um, curto timber is the what we use for the roof joists that uh, meant that we could have the very long span roof joists that were... Um, without any kind of cross bracing in them um, was another key feature, and that was something that Brian brought to the to the the design as well. So yeah, I think it it, it was a really nice collaborative design process we had working with them, and yeah, we equally worked with them on lots of projects. So I think I think we like to think of that of all of the consultants we tend to work with is that you know it, it's much nicer to work collaboratively rather than going too far down the design process and having to as you say, make compromises further down the line. And there must have been, with this project, there must have been certain tipping points where there was, did you have any things that you were maybe going to do, but you decided not to do that started tipping it over the edge of, you'd have to rebuild so much of the existing that it was barely worth keeping it? Did you ever have those kind of challenges along the way? Um, no, I think there was there was a slight unknown, as I say, with the foundations, and there was a point where we thought we might have to tie on to the existing and, and pin into the existing foundations which would have added quite a lot of cost um, but fortunately when they were fully exposed we found they were stepped out enough that they could just support the new brick skin that went around it um, so that was that was fortuitous because I think that could have blown quite a bit of the budget um, mm-hmm. uh, there were other things the clients we, we didn't actually get the chance to oversee the project on site the clients took it um once we kind of developed the the detail package um and that was obviously slightly nerve-wracking in terms of developing up certain information hoping that it was going to all be translated through on site um and we'd never actually really done that before uh in a kind of design build type way um but fortunately they had some great contractors who'd actually come down from scotland and they lived on site during the works davy and dougal mm. um and yeah, fortunately, they, they they were really uh, tuned in with what we were trying to achieve. And uh, it, it was surprisingly smooth in terms of the handover of the information. I mean, we did go down to site a few times and we were on the phone when there were things that came up, but it was a surprisingly smooth process. That's interesting because um, we um, on this podcast are talking about um, one of our projects is Two and a Half Story House, where we mm. had exactly the same, probably completed around the same time, but had exactly the same um we handed over and the clients managed it on site and um and i was talking about exactly what you said of it being very nerve-wracking um not through lack of trust of others but just through familiarity of what Mm. what you're normally doing did you did you feel um did anything sort of change because there's the potential that you can do design and then you could see it built and it's not much like what the original (laughs) design was Did, did any of that happen here or did they sort of stick to concepts and push it through I think they stuck. I, I think it worked because we knew what the clients wanted at the start. They had a very mm. clear vision of what they wanted. Uh, I think we, I like to think we delivered 
a comprehensive design pack uh, in terms of information it was conveyed clearly we tried to keep things i think we were aware that this was potentially going to happen when well, we were aware when we were developing the mm. details that we were going to hand it over so i think we just tried to build that into the design um to make it as robust as possible to make sure that the the design intent was was um readable and, and deliverable mm-hmm. um so no it, it was relatively smooth um in terms of handover process um which was good and the clients they obviously had a key role in managing the project they'd never done anything of this scale before um and it was obviously a a very engaged process for them and they really did drive a lot of the uh the design uh, interpretation of the internal spaces um as i say they had this strong interest in kind of utilitarian uh design and, and very stripped back and raw and so that that's why they want to you know the exposed plug sockets and things like that that all was coming from them and and i think that's great where that you know they're bringing their design and they they clearly had an idea of what they want and were able to achieve it mm-hmm. well they've done i mean them and the builders have done an mm. incredible job considering considering that as well to mm. pull through a pretty what is a pretty complex job on yeah. talking about how the simplicity of it sort of visually um but it takes a lot of work to achieve that um do you think they would do this again if they if they were to do a house again uh it's funny that that question has been asked to them i think it it does it does sort of whet your appetite to it in terms of once you embark on one of these projects i think they're very comfortable and they're very happy um having achieved what they have with the with the house um you know, maybe in 10 years' time, when their family starts contracting again, they'll see an opportunity to embark on another project. Um, so, yeah, I, I'd like to think we haven't completely uh, broken them through the project. But they, <laughs> they still enjoyed it to some extent. Uh, or they did enjoy it. And, uh, yeah, they, they'd do it again. Is it something that you would do again? Like, let's say, actually, let's put you more on the spot. Let's say that... You- would you would you undertake something like this for a house for yourself if you knew that there's a a 1950s type house and um and building a house within a house um yes yeah i think i would um i mean i think it's you would always be concerned about the cost i think that's got to be a critical particularly working with an existing structure there were there were unknowns we could have revealed bigger issues in terms of structure and uh you know as you well know when you start actually pulling a building apart you you can uncover all sorts of sins um so that is something you'd always be aware of is what you might uncover um but i i think definitely it's 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 fun to work around existing. It's kind of, it's always a challenge with design. I think if, in a way it would have been harder if it was a blank canvas because we mm. had something to work with. So the, the more param- parameters you give yourself, kind of making your life easier in a way. Um, mm-hmm. So, but yes, I, I think I would embark on a project like this, definitely. But I think there's also quite a strong message in it. It's why I like talking about projects like this as well. Um, but you know, people often sort of say, what's the best advice you can give as, as architects and yes, there's the sort of design and what you can build for people that's new, but sometimes the best advice is advising people what they can keep and, Mm. and that being the starting point. Um, but what's so important to achieve that is this dialogue of what does it mean? What does it, people respond to sort of practical aspects? Does it save them, uh, money as well as, you know, from a personal, as well as a sort of bigger sort of planet point of view, but Mm. what do you think are kind of really important lessons that, that you've learned from from taking this route and doing this project um i think i guess 
it conveying the vision to your client, obviously, because at the outset, if they weren't able to buy into what you were trying to say you could achieve with existing, as I say, a lot of people wouldn't believe it if they knew that, that that's what was there and that's what we've done on top of it. So I think it's really making sure you can convey those ideas in a tangible way to the client so that they can buy into it. Um, fortunately, the, the clients were on board with this. They were keen to work with the existing. So I think I think that would be the key thing is, I guess, yeah, making them believe it. And how did you make them believe it? Did you show them you showed them this proposal but did you did you have to explore other avenues as well to convince you convince them of of this one yeah i mean uh, I'd, i'm sure you're from that early stage is is critical when you're developing ideas and designs and we will always present more than one design you're never going to go to a client and say right there's the answer <laughs> and mm-hmm. take that one um there's always going to be a other ones thrown in there and there were definitely lots of options in terms of the roof form that quickly got thrown out um quite often we will say to a client oh we're going to show you some ideas that you you know the curveball that you know you didn't think would work and it works and in this instance it wasn't so much of a curveball i think it you know we, we it, it worked well and it sat comfortably and it struck a chord with them uh but in other projects sometimes they're more wacky maybe the ideas you'll present mm-hmm. but they might click with them and and then that will take you on another avenue um so yeah and then i think um just developing and conveying those designs three-dimensionally luckily nowadays you know everything can be uh, presented with computer models or physical models so that that helps when getting those ideas across and did they need much coercing once you'd shown that design or was it was it more a case of they were on board straight away and excited i think when that and that key move of the roof form and the the idea of overwrapping it really struck a chord from the other options that we'd discussed and 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 really we hit the ground running once we confirmed that with them mm-hmm. what well, um what's what are your favorite aspects of of this house if you were to pick any um it's funny because I live quite locally to it so I do often still go past and drive past because right. I like to see I guess uh how it sits within that street and it is unusual uh, and i like the fact that it's unusual i like the fact that it some people don't like it and some people do <laughs> because i think i don't know as a practice we always say you know it's better to provoke a reaction than no reaction mm. um so i really enjoy that and, and it's a shame you can't see that much of the back in a context in the winter you can see it a bit more when the trees go back in there's certain um points that you can see into the kind of block almost um so it's nice again glimpsing it through and seeing this kind of slightly unusual form uh, amongst the victorian terrace um so that always uh is is enjoyable to see and then i think yeah it's those surprise moments going inside and uh going up onto the top floor i think is the key for me and that feeling of height and volume and light coming in is is really exciting mm-hmm and um we t- touched on it earlier but you you don't just design houses as a practice um but if we were just sort of if we were just sort of taking that avenue and that branch of domestic architecture what's kind of next for for Almanac? where do you go from um a project like this have you got have you got as a kind of next challenge or a next thing in the pipeline yeah we we well, historically, we did early on a project called the Slim House, which was this very narrow house, and um, it's kind of led to quite a lot of uh, small infill houses, which we quite enjoy. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, really complex, quite tight sites um, that 
we're doing one now that we're calling the slither house because it's so <laughs> narrow um so we enjoy those um we're not just doing urban houses though we're, do- we're now doing a, a, a barn project out in um norfolk which is really nice to be working in a completely different context mm-hmm. um so it's a working with an existing victorian barn brick structure um with some outbuildings new outbuildings that we're creating so it's really nice to have that within the office you know um mm. uh, very different types of context and scale of projects uh, on a domestic scale at least and like slim House, do you think this one will lead on to other projects do you think or have you already had other people sort of come to you with with a similar brief and asking for a russian doll over their house <laughs> um Yes, yes and no. Again, I think a lot of people who glimpse it wouldn't know that it is the, there is an existing house in there. I guess that's why it's explicitly called house within a house. <laughs> um, so hopefully they'll kind of read into it. Um, so yes, we've had quite a few from kind of people with that kind of era of 50s and 60s buildings that they're interested in transforming them. Um, so yeah, it'll be interesting to see how we can apply some of the the same ideas or develop new ideas along the same mm-hmm. lines and what what's kind of inspiring and influencing you at the moment is that do you have any architects that you're kind of looking at or well not just architects in any field that's that you're kind of really thinking oh wow that's i'd love to be doing a project like that or that's really groundbreaking um yeah i mean i, I touch on the house tompkins i love their work in terms of bigger scale so public mm-hmm. projects and obviously kind of Caruso St John those kind of people that uh, you know really you could just the richness of the projects is is great see um working on the barn project now I'm really interested in the kind of work of rural office for architecture in terms of the real uh, attention to kind of the materiality and the kind of those types of buildings and mm. uh the detail of how they're put together um yeah I think most for me personally I think I really enjoy the legibility of architecture where you can kind of read the details and you can read how the buildings are put together um, and the richness of the texture. So those are the kind of people that jump out at me. Mm-hmm. And do you do anything as, as a company um, in terms of like research and sort of moving forward and, and doing these different sort of typologies? Is there, is there any kind of other arm to, to what you're doing or, or method to how you kind of um, research and develop your ideas? As a practice, I think, that, that yeah the underpinning is that we it is collaborative process so you know we don't we don't want to give a person's name to a project it's the practice that delivers the project um we try and critique the projects collectively as much as possible so although there might be one couple of people working the project we want to keep everyone inputting ideas and i think that's where you get the best out of it is in terms of people bringing in knowledge or ideas or saying oh have you had a look at this project and sharing those those ideas and you know having big pin-up walls on in the office where we can share those ideas is really key mm-hmm. and uh, have you got any advice for like if anybody's sort of looking into um i kind of imagine if i was a student now and coming out of university almanac is definitely one of those practices that i'd be looking at if like oh you want to work there it kind of mm. looks really good fun and in, in the work that you're doing um but equally it, this time probably more than any as well it's a very challenging time i think for for people coming into the industry or anybody Mm. going into any industry um but just any advice that you'd have for people that that might be looking at someone like you that set up a practice 10 years ago and and i would argue is doing the the things that they'd they'd have wanted to do when um 
living the dream let's say but <laughs> what what advice <laughs> what advice would would you give for any kind of young aspiring architect that's that's looking at your work and um, and, and dreams of doing something like that um i mean i when we set the practice up it it was through a desire to want to you know, see buildings built. Um, we didn't want to just be talking about them and drawing them. And we, we'd all worked in slightly larger practices, working on bigger scale projects. And there's absolutely a, uh, a reason why you'd want to do that. But I think smaller projects are great because, you know, they encapsulate everything, even though they may take a couple of years, you see every aspect of it. And we really enjoy working on site. I think that's critical in terms of seeing how things are put together and, um, you know, talking directly with contractors. Uh, so for, I guess for a, a, someone coming out of architecture school, I think uh, getting experience in a smaller practice is probably key um, to give you a, quite a broad uh, exposure to, to, to projects. Um, so I think that's, that's probably where I would start. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, Tristan, I'm now going to ask you, there's, there's three questions that I ask all of my guests. Um, and the first one starts with your home and just asking you, what is there anything that really annoys you in your home? <laughs> uh, so I think we touched on it earlier. I think it's entrances um, that I would say, in, um, entrances and bikes. Um, so, yeah, that's <laughs> I, I have a young family and it's always, you know, falling in through the door and there not being enough space to take off coats and put your shoes and things like that or put a bike um and I'm, I'm certainly not a bike evangelist but i think bikes are brilliant and i think if we could design in better bicycle storage into our houses um that would be great and it's i haven't achieved it yet so <laughs> that's certainly <laughs> how are you going to do that are you in a, are you in a terraced property i, I am in terrace house I, I, yeah. I, I do have the space in front uh, a small kind of uh port, uh, front area that i can build something but i get frustrated by these kind of metal boxes that you see and they're just kind of ugly and uh so i think i need to try and build something um, but that's yeah. secure <laughs> see we got lucky with our house so the same the same bugbear i have as we mm. we live in an ex-local authority property and recently redeveloped uh, done the interiors and one thing i did was literally just move the hallway wall by mm. i think about 15 centimeters and it's explaining it to people before doing it as a classic kind of architect thing of like, what a stupid thing to do but the yeah. difference is just that little bit of difference yeah. in the entrance but then we've got one of those bike hangers just outside our door so that yeah that kind of turned up about a year ago like great there's a yeah they instant nearly, they solution one and then it never turned up so <laughs> yeah yeah still bringing it in um, and what about um, a home that you've visited? Um, if you could choose one that's really inspired you um, and your work and, and explain why. Uh, I had to think about this one. I th- well, this is a collection of houses. I'm allowed to say it. So uh, it's Sea Ranch up in Northern California. I don't know if you've heard of it. So it's no, it basically, know, no. it's a collection of houses on the coast of Northern California. Uh, and it emerged in the 60s. And they kind of, Lawrence Halpern was a, a landscape architect and he designed a kind of code. So all of the houses have to follow a kind of design code. So they were all kind of quite sculptural timber buildings Mm. but they were kind of quite pioneering in their approach to the how they sat within the landscape and how they are designed from an ecological and sustainable point of view um so i think that's kind of in my blood um from i grew up in 
in America. So that was where I kind of, my father's an architect and we would just go there again and again and he would expose us to it. So that's, that would be the one. Um, and if people haven't looked at it, it's worth looking up. So see Ranch. Interesting. And I didn't know that your father was an architect. Um, what, what kind of work did, did he do? Um, uh, mostly housing as well. Um, so that's why we mm-hmm. were in America when I was born. He, he was in a fellowship uh, researching timber frame housing in Berkeley. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, it kind of it was thrust upon me. I think when I finished school, I tried to not be an architect <laughs> for a while and <laughs> tried to look at different disciplines that I could go into and, and then went to open days and just fell in love with it. And uh, so begrudgingly carried on. But no, obviously no regrets. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. But you do hear a lot from uh, architects that will say to their children, you could be whatever you want to be, but yeah. don't be an architect. Yeah. Um, but clearly your father didn't do that. Or maybe he did. No, he didn't. He didn't. So, yeah. And his father was a, a ship designer. So I guess there's probably something in the blood. Yeah. Yes. Um, well, then, if you could choose any designer then to design you a new home, who would you choose? Uh, so the person I was thinking of was Glenn McCutt. Um, I saw him give a lecture actually when I was out in America in San Francisco about 10 years ago and I've never seen someone speak so energetically uh, mm. for an hour and a half on architecture and it was just you know really I, I hadn't known his work at, at, at that time um, and I think I just really enjoy again the way in which he approaches detailing of buildings how they sit in landscapes the the kind of the the way they kind of sit so comfortably and there's there's a there's you can see there's an enjoyment in the way he designs and details things. They, they kind of have a Heath Robinson type feel to some of the, the ways in which he opens them up and ventilates them in a very different context to our context. But um, so, yeah, mm-hmm. I think it would be Glenn McCutt. Excellent choice. Um, there's, a, there's a lot of Australian listeners to this podcast as okay. well, so they'll probably be happy with that choice. Yeah. Um, well, Tristan, thank you very much for, for joining me for the interview. And uh, it's been fascinating finding out more about um, House Within a House. No problem at all. I've really enjoyed speaking with you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode. If you'd like to find out more about Almanac, then please visit the website at anotherarchitecturepodcast.com where you will find links to their work and other interesting articles. And try out the podcast Instagram to see work of all my guests and sneak previews of upcoming guests. If you enjoyed the episode, then please give me a review on iTunes or whichever platform you are listening on, as it's a great way to help other people find the podcast. I look forward to you joining me for the next episode, and thank you again for listening.